Welcome to Fast Company Digest, essential stories from tech, design, impact, and work life, narrated by Noah App. I'm Fast Company Senior Editor, Lydia Dishman. Here are this week's stories. First up, would you want the sales associate you just purchased sheets from to come to your house and make your bed? Several Bull and Branch customers have taken the retailer up on that offer of extremely personalized customer service. In a move to surprise and delight consumers, Fast Company's Liz Segrin reports on how some brands, even IKEA, are moving toward high-touch experiences. Narrated by Noah. Listen to more of the world's best journalism on the Noah app or at newsoveraudio.com. For Noah, this is Adrian Walker reading from Fast Company. We're on the 30th of December, 2023. Elizabeth Segrin writes, Brick and mortar retail is back, but without the gimmicks. When you visit a bowl and branch store to pick up a new set of sheets, the staff will ask you if you would like them to come to your house to make your bed for you. And they're perfectly serious. For some customers, it's not an appealing request, but for others, it's a dream come true. Around two dozen people a month take up the offer at each of the brand's seven stores. One customer was just moving into a new house, says Scott Tannen, Bolin Branch's founder and CEO. Her house was in total chaos, so the idea of coming home to a beautifully made bed really appealed to her. We were happy to accommodate. A decade ago, thousands of stores a year were shuttering in the retail apocalypse as customers increasingly shopped online. In those years, brands felt like they had to come up with entertaining retail experiences to woo customers into their brick-and-mortar locations. But in the post-pandemic years, consumers were eager to return to physical stores, and more than 16,000 stores opened in the previous two years. In 2022, retail sales hit $6.183 trillion, up 11% from the year before. As retail comes back, brands appear to be moving beyond entertainment and are focused instead on offering highly personal customer service, designed to make an impression. At a Todd Snyder store, you can have your clothes altered by an in-house tailor while you drink a glass of scotch. At outdoor retailer Orvis, you can take a free fly fishing class in local waters so you can learn how to use your new fishing gear. At Converse's holiday pop-up, you can have your sneakers embroidered with your initials. And IKEA is launching smaller stores, which have fewer products on display, but will have designers on hand to help you design your dream home. In many ways, these high-touch customer service experiences return to the traditional old-fashioned ways that shopkeepers have built relationships with their clients. But in a world where consumers increasingly interact with brands online, these personalized interactions with a brand feel novel and special. Visiting Todd Snyder's new store in Boston feels like stepping into a cozy, sophisticated home. The store features a pool table along with a fully stocked bar. Shelves are stacked with layers of sweaters interspersed with coffee table books and cologne, the way they might be at someone's home. For each of his 15 retail stores, Snyder sources the pieces of furniture himself, often from vintage sellers. It's not meant to be dramatic, he says. It's meant to make a guy feel welcome and like they want to stay a while. Snyder began as a digitally native brand a decade ago. But as he's starting to expand his fleet of brick-and-mortar stores, 
He's taken a different approach from many other startups, which opted for more dramatic store concepts. In the years leading up to the pandemic, many direct-to-consumer brands enticed customers into stores with immersive experiences. Casper created nap pods you could rent to get a little shut-eye during the day. Fans created a skate park in its London store. And every brand from Glossier to Perrier created spectacular pop-ups designed to be excellent Instagram backdrops. In the post-pandemic world, many brands have scaled back on these immersive stores. Both Casper's and Vans' in-store experiences have now been permanently closed. Part of it has to do with the fact that many direct-to-consumer brands have struggled with profitability, and it was hard to quantify how these experiences would translate into sales. But part of it could have been that the novelty of these experiences was wearing off. Now, as brands are investing in new stores, they are coming up with other ways to get customers in the store and keep them engaged. And many are focused on offering experiences that are directly relevant to the customer's shopping visit. Snyder, for instance, wants to offer more than its own products in store, so customers have more to explore. He curated dozens of products from other brands he loves, from Red Wing shoes to mascot eyewear to Scotia bracelets. There's always an element of discovery when you enter our stores, he says. But he wants the stores to stand out for their level of personalized service. At the back of the Boston store, there's a tailor on hand to make on-the-spot alterations to garments while you browse the store. And in 2023, Snyder launched made-to-measure suiting services. A tailor will measure the customer's body to create a bespoke pattern for the suit. The customer can work with the tailor to pick the fabric and colors for the suit. The idea is to offer the kind of high-end service you might get in London's Savile Row, but at a much more approachable price point. A bespoke Todd Snyder suit starts at around $1,000. In many ways, the Todd Snyder store is a throwback to shops from the past, in which merchants had personal relationships with their clients. Some of the biggest brands are finding ways to create more intimate moments with their customers. Converse has invested in its customization program. In its Soho and Boston stores, customers can create an entire sneaker from scratch, picking everything from the silhouette to the fabric to the laces, which can be transformed into a shoe while you wait. At a holiday pop-up in the Boston Seaport District, Converse has brought in an embroidery artist who can create custom patterns or monograms on sneakers. IKEA has announced it is opening eight small-format stores that will be as compact as 1,100 square feet, just a fraction of its big-box stores, which can be as big as 500,000 square feet. The new stores are marketed as an opportunity for customers to meet with IKEA team members to discuss products and receive guidance as they design rooms. As Bolin Branch expands its brick-and-mortar footprint, Scott Tannen, founder and CEO, says that the most important decisions have to do with the people they hire. The brand is deploying their in-store staff in all kinds of unconventional ways. They will visit customers' homes to set up their beds for them. When a customer orders a piece of furniture, like a bed frame or a dresser, they will ride in the delivery van, armed with treats, to surprise the customer. The customer's experience comes down to a few interactions with members of our team, he says. We work very hard to make these delightful experiences. Bernd Schmidt, a professor of marketing at Columbia Business School, says that while these personal interactions are a throwback to the past, 
it's now easier for brands to create these experiences with the help of technology. Brands can keep track of a customer's buying history so they can better understand what they are looking for. They can also use texting and email to stay connected with customers after they have left the store. There are more touch points to build this relationship with the customer, he says, and brands can do it more easily with fewer people thanks to technology. Tannen says these personal touches are a major investment. It takes time and effort to hire the right associates, and the company pays higher than market rates to get the best people for the job. But ultimately, he believes that these connections are valuable, not just for driving immediate sales, but for nurturing long-term relationships. Bolin Branch has found that customers who shop in-store tend to spend more with the brand and keep coming back in the future. It's something we've known all along in business, but somehow we've forgotten in the digital age, Tannen says. Great service is what creates loyal customers. You are listening to Fast Company, where Elizabeth Segrin writes, Brick-and-mortar retail is back, but without the gimmicks. This article was published on the 30th of December, 2023, and was read by Adrian Walker for Noah. The article you just listened to was narrated by the team at NOAA. Continue listening to more great journalism on the NOAA app or by visiting newsoveraudio.com. Next, listen in on Jenna Abdu's conversation with Amishi Ja, a professor of psychology and the author of Peak Mind. Ja explains the building blocks of a mindset shift that allows you to reclaim your time. Put simply, Ja says, the power of paying attention to our attention is that we become aware that this other stuff that's happening isn't related to our goal and may actually prevent us from accomplishing it. For Noah, this is Jane Wing, reading from Fast Company, where on the 3rd of January 2024, Jenna Abdu writes, We lose 50% of our time together from distraction. These neuroscience-backed practices will help you reclaim it. Be calm to get calm is my go-to centering phrase from Amishi Jha's research. It's one of the peak mind pivots in her book, Peak Mind, Find Your Focus, Own Your Attention, Invest 12 Minutes a Day. The basic orientation of peak mind pivots is orienting toward effortlessness instead of efforting more, she says. Jha reminds herself to be calm to get calm, too. Still, the mantra didn't stem from her lab at the University of Miami, where she is director of the Contemplative Neuroscience for the Mindfulness Research and Practice Initiative and a professor of psychology. It was a military spouse's advice to her husband for getting their kids to listen. She was saying, embody the thing that you want to have presented and around you, Jar explains. If we want to have something arise of a particular ilk, we need to resonate with it, not just in terms of the aspiration that it exists, but in the way that we embody our own inner landscape. Jar's work inherently compels you to monitor your attention and, importantly, to successfully shift it, as she's demonstrated through her pioneering mindfulness-based training programs with athletes, executives, soldiers and first responders. You can understand it intellectually, but you really have to practice this so it can come up in the moment, she adds. 
That's why we do any kind of contemplative practice, not so we can be great at following our breath with our eyes closed. Who wants to be an Olympic-level breath follower? The goal is to bring these competencies and capacities into our moment-to-moment experience. Here, Jar shares how we can do so with our teams. Jenna Abdu, I'd love to start with one of the most compelling insights in your book. More than taking up time, these high-functioning, high-achieving people have found that mindfulness practice creates time. One executive shared that it yielded the greatest ROI he's ever seen. How do attention and mindfulness training create time? Amishi Jar. I think part of the answer is looking to see what our biggest time sinks are, even in a small task. We have a deadline. What is the set of things that happens before we can actually tackle it? It might be anxiety or resistance. Whatever it is, these all happen frequently as we're approaching a task. Then, when the task is occurring, these micro-moments re-emerge over and over again. Often all this goes unnoticed. We think we're just banging our head against the wall. The power of paying attention to our attention is that we become aware that this other stuff is happening that isn't related to our goal and may actually prevent us from accomplishing it. The second part is, once you become aware of this, simultaneously having some capacity to cultivate where we direct our attention can become very powerful. So, thinking about our attention like a flashlight, in all the moments prior to our goal-related task, it's somewhere else. Finally, we can direct it to the task at hand. When you start seeing all the components that are separate from the task, you can see that there's a cost associated with them. With awareness and attention, we can be more efficient in accomplishing our goals. Abdu, you highlight a quote from Jim Carrey. Our eyes are not only viewers, but projectors that are running a second story over the picture we see in front of us all the time. I've been thinking about this through the lens of collaboration. If there are ten of us in a meeting, we're all playing a different movie. How do you approach that? Do you have any practices to navigate it? Jar. The first thing is to acknowledge that's the case. During 50% of our waking moments, our attention, by default, may not be on the task at hand. Now, if we have a 30-minute meeting, that means for 15 minutes it will not be aligned. People aren't going to be there. So, first, let's constantly be aware of our own vulnerability and bring the intention of fully showing up. I'm on the board of the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, which was born at Google and started from their own mindfulness work. They have a practice called A Moment to Arrive. It's bold because it says, when you enter a meeting space, you acknowledge that you came from somewhere else and you'll soon be going somewhere different. Let's begin by getting and being here right now together. The second thing is to have the shared understanding that we won't all stay here. Watch the mind. Be aware that you will miss information, make errors, and that your decision-making will be faulty if you aren't actually here. Since I've been studying these processes, I'm more tolerant of the fact that people will lapse, because I lapse. Knowing that, I want to fill people in and move on. I won't say, we literally just said... I'll just say it again, because even that is a little dig that you weren't paying attention. 
It helps keep the seriousness of our joint collaborative effort and also builds a sense of common humanity among the team. We all want the same thing. We all have to work for it. Abdu, you often describe attention training as building pre-silence. Through the lens of your collaborations, I'd love to hear how cultivating it together helped you achieve a better outcome during a challenge. Jar, when it comes to resilience, if we wait for the moment we need our attention to train it, it's too late. In the same way that if we wait to exercise when we need physical strength, it's too late. You really want to stick to this notion of train every day because you don't know when you're going to need it. One of my dear collaborators, who is currently Vice Chief of Staff of the Army, began a mindfulness practice while he was deployed in Iraq. We had a conversation shortly after the pandemic and he said, it's moments like these that we practice for. If we didn't have something we could do in a self-supportive manner to refuel ourselves every day, it would be very hard to meet the moment. Not only would you be drained within a few hours, you wouldn't have a method to keep refreshing yourself whether that's through a formal practice or even resetting multiple times throughout the day. Abdu, your stop, drop and roll practice is a valuable one to do so. When is a time it helped you lead with intention rather than reactivity? Jar, stop, drop and roll is like an acronym. Stop means that you are aware of the ongoing flood of mental phenomena and disengage from participating in it. Drop is disengaging from all the stories that may emerge. So saying, there is a story happening here, I'm going to watch it arise. Roll refers to keep going. Let the moment pass without trying to hold on to anything. We were on the precipice of executing a military project when I got a note from the commander's assistant saying, the commander needs to talk to you regarding the status of your project. I told myself I have to stop all the assumptions that are happening because, of course, the first thing you want to do is fly off another email. So stop, hands off the keyboard, take a couple of breaths, disengage. You're just going to watch the flood of stories and assumptions come. Orient to the sensations that are arising in the body. Then let's see what happens. It was the case that they wanted us to pivot, but the reason was that they were being deployed. The conversation he wanted to have was to get us another commander. If I'd been so hung up on having an agenda so I couldn't even hear him, it would have gone very differently. We found another group and it was an even better project because it was double the number of soldiers. This is a simple example, but you can play it out in a number of ways. When are you not being your best ally? Expending cognitive, mental and emotional resources so that when the moment actually arrives you have nothing left to give. You've already battled it out alone in your mind. Abdu. Adjacently, it was surprising to learn that positivity training actually depletes our attention. As a leader, it often feels like you have to be positive and reframe situations. Why is mindfulness training a better option? Jar. Those are our aspirations, but every moment isn't positive. Positivity is something to use with caution when you're in a high-demand, high-stress period. Part of it is essentially resource management. Building a castle in the sky isn't happening without you effortfully creating it, and that comes at a cost, which is essentially your cognitive and attentional resources. If you have the capacity to do that, go for it. 
But if you don't, you are depleting the resources you may need to do something else. Part of building these capacities by engaging in mindfulness and compassion practices is so that we have more resources to work with, but also so that we have more awareness of how best to use those resources in the moment we're faced with. You are listening to Fast Company, where Jenna Abdu writes, We lose 50% of our time together from distraction. These neuroscience-backed practices will help you reclaim it. This article was published on the 3rd of January 2024 and was read by Jane Wing for NOAA.